Hey, it's Martine. Today, we have a special episode for you. It's about the lasting legacy of family separation under the Trump administration. This week marks one year since President Biden created the Family Reunification Task Force. Its job is to bring families who were separated at the U.S.-Mexico border together. The task force says that it has reunited more than 120 families so far, and 400 others are in the process of being reunited. This reporting happened over the course of two years. This story is brought to you by producer Alexis Diao and reporter Kevin Seif. Okay, here's the show. The first time I met Adelaida, she just gotten out of her third grade class. And she walked down the stairs to the school bus, sat on the sidewalk, and started reading a dictionary. Just going through word by word. Coordinate, make the part of something, work together to harmonize. That was my my introduction to her. This was in Fort Myers, Florida, in January of 2020. Adelaida is the kid who all the other kids want to be around. She's the fastest runner. She's somehow magnetic. One of her teachers recently told Kevin that Adelaida is the best student she's ever had, which feels remarkable given what Adelaida has been through. One of the things that drew me to her story was the way in which she has sort of worked through and continues to work through the aftermath of this policy that almost all Americans know, you know, one of the most infamous immigration policies probably of the last 50 years. And she was at the center of it. Adelaida was one of the first children separated from her family at the border by the Trump administration. She was six. She and her mother, Maria Chic Reynoso, tried to cross the border in the summer of 2017. And that timing is important because that was almost a year before Trump officials publicly acknowledged that these separations were happening. Kevin first heard about their case from an immigration attorney at the beginning of 2020, just before the pandemic took hold. I heard from a lawyer about a family where the the mom was in rural Guatemala and the the daughter was in Florida. And even though I'd I'd covered the policy pretty closely, I just just wasn't aware. And And frankly, I don't think most people who cover the policy were aware that these protracted separations were so common. They were among the first to be separated under former President Trump. And now, they're among the first to be reunited. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Alexis Diao. It's Friday, February 4th. Today, Maria and Adelaida what their experience tells us about the ongoing effects of the policy that separated them. Kevin Seif is the Mexico City Bureau Chief for The Post. Over the last two years, he and I have been sitting down and talking whenever he's had a new update about this story. We're putting it all together now because one of their toughest chapters is finally over, and a new one is starting with a different set of challenges. 
But before we talk about what those challenges are, we have to go back in time. Okay. To the day they were separated. Do you remember being on the on the journey to the U.S.? We we first came to a to a bus, and then we wait for another bus, and and then they took us to to the desert, and we walk. She remembers the the sort of walk through the scrubland the, desert in um, Sonora before they crossed into the border into Arizona. When you when you were in the desert or you were in the bus, were you afraid? Were, were, was it scary? Yes. What do you remember feeling when you were in the desert? Um, I was feeling like tired. But my mom told me that I don't have to be scared. Then some men scared me because they were coming with us. They immediately were apprehended by a border patrol agent, which was their intention. They wanted to apply for asylum in the U.S. So they weren't trying to evade arrest. And then not that long after they were brought into border patrol custody, uh, the border patrol agent basically told Maria that she should say goodbye to her daughter. Ustedes les, les agarraron? Mm-hmm. ¿Qué, ¿Qué recuerdas de ese momento? I remember that I was feeling so sad because they separated me. What, but what what happened? Like you guys were sitting in the same in the same room, and then they came into the room and they said something to you, or what? What do you remember? They told me that I have to see my dad, but they tricked me because they. Adelaida has a sort of hazy memory of of the last moment she saw her mom, um, not entirely knowing what was going on or where she was going. They said to me that I have to leave my mom, but that moment I was crying because I don't want to leave my mom. And I love her, and she was crying too because she didn't want to leave me. And that was it. Her mom was taken in one direction and she was taken in another. The same month that Kevin met Adelaida in Florida, he also traveled to meet Maria. So I I took a plane to Guatemala City I rented a car and I drove for about seven hours north um, into the highlands of Guatemala, parked on the side of the road next to a little convenience store, and then I just hiked. I'm walking up the hill on the way to Maria Chic Reynoso's house. Maria and her family don't have very much left. Um, They've gave up most of of what they owned to fund their journey to the U.S., so I'm just going to keep walking up up closer to the house and see if Maria's here. And I got there, it was just a sort of small wooden shack with dirt floors. And Maria was there, uh, waiting outside. When I got here, well, I feel like I have lost something that I can't get back. After she was deported from the U.S., 
Maria came back to her home village. She was depressed, had lost her appetite, and was unemployed for a while. So she would sit at home, staring at her clock. Waiting for the hour that Adelaida is done from school, the time that she can call her daughter. They would talk almost every day on video call. And Maria would watch her daughter grow up over the screen. (laughs) But it's sort of like a window into what she can't have. She's watching her daughter grow up, but she can't be with her daughter. You know, there are those moments when I think they both just stare at each other without saying anything. And there's a connection there, right? It's still a really strong connection. By the time Kevin began following their story, they had been maintaining this relationship over the phone for more than two years. The height of family separation had come and gone. But there were still details about that period and policy that continued to emerge. So what we now know is that more than 5,500 families were separated during the Trump administration. But when it happened to Maria... It felt like it was happening to her alone. I felt very bad. I was crying and crying and crying. And they told me, if you cry more, we're going to put you a longer sentence. And I cried so much. And I asked the immigration officer, just tell me, where are you going to take her? And they didn't answer me. And yes, I was crying so much. And I asked them, why are you doing this to me? And they answered me, we don't know. We don't know anything. You know, you came here illegally. We should note here that people have the right to come to the U.S. and seek asylum. For Maria and Adelaida, they fled Guatemala for fear of their lives. They made the journey to the U.S. with other members of their family. Maria and Adelaida had migrated with Maria's sister, Patricia, and Patricia's child. The four of them had traveled together. But when they got to the border, Maria was separated from Adelaida, but Patricia was not separated from her child. And still to this day, no one can figure out exactly why that is. An immigration officer told my sister Patricia, Hey, look, woman, I know this is sad, but how can I explain to you? I'm also a father. I have my children. I wouldn't want that for them. But this administration and this president, we need to obey their their orders. But to me, having reported on this for a while, I mean, it's just an example of the arbitrariness of the policy that for years it was inconsistently and arbitrarily implemented. Some families were separated and some families weren't. And we still can't really explain why. She spent months in detention 
fighting her case, trying to get asylum in the U.S. She hired a lawyer, took out a huge debt to pay him, and ultimately did not get asylum. And I think, you know, months into her detention, she realized that she was going to be separated from her daughter for a really long time. Yes, the truth is that it's very hard. It's hard because when they deported me, when I was in the Guatemalan airport, where all the deportees are, I thought on so many things. It was night. They told me, you have to leave this night. I thought my heart didn't want to go back to Guatemala. And then, you know, she got on a plane. She was forced onto a plane, deported back to Guatemala, and she fled with her daughter and she returned alone. Um, It was kind of the worst moment of her life. Meanwhile, Adelaide was sent to a foster family in New York. And she just cried all the time. She cried so much that the foster family could hear her crying through the walls at night. She was keeping other people up in the family because she was crying so much. You know, one of the challenges for a lot of these kids in the government's efforts to place these kids with relatives is that a lot of the kids didn't know where their relatives were. They didn't have any contact information for their relatives. And Adelaida was was one of these kids the government really, for a while, I think, didn't know what to do with. But this sort of miraculous thing happened. Adelaida had memorized her grandmother's phone number. Back in Guatemala, her grandmother's still living in their village. And so U.S. government officials call her grandma in rural Guatemala. And her grandma says, you know, actually, Adelaida's aunt is in South Florida. She's there. And this is the aunt that Adelaida migrated with. And so that's where Adelaida was sent. In Guatemala, Maria was desperate to find a way back to her daughter. She thought maybe the separation was a mistake, so she took a chance. She once again paid a smuggler to bring her back to the U.S. border, where she was apprehended, charged with illegal reentry, and deported again. This is in the summer of 2018. This is when the administration formalizes its zero-tolerance policy. And this is when we all saw the images of children packed in detention centers, toddlers crying out for their parents. And the summer when President Trump ends family separation. Thank you very much. Uh, We're signing an executive order. I consider to be a very important executive order. It's about keeping families together while at the same time being sure that we have a very powerful, very strong border and border security will be uh, equal, if not greater than previously. So we're going to have strong, very strong borders. But a White House speech doesn't solve anything for Maria and Adelaida. They're both still in limbo at this point as to whether or not they'll be reunited and what their future together might look like. 
For Adelaida, she is living with her aunt and other extended family members in Florida. But it's not ideal. They live in a cramped two-bedroom apartment with anywhere between 10 to 14 people, depending on the day. She's living with her aunt, who basically has been raising her the last four years as sort of like a mother. But Adelaida is looking for a mom. She's not looking for an aunt. And so she'll complain to her mom, my aunt only kisses my cousins goodnight. She doesn't kiss me goodnight. Uh, because they told me that I'm bigger and and then I told her that all right because I always, when I always have um, a, stuff, a stuffy, so I always hug her and pretend that that was my mom. When we go to bed, she tells me, and this is when I feel so bad for her because she says, Aunt, I'm sad right now. I miss my mom. And I tell her, yes, I understand you, but you're going to school. And that is what she says she wants, to study and finish her studies. That's her purpose. That's Patricia, Adelaida's aunt. Under federal immigration law, Unaccompanied minors like Adelaida are allowed to stay in the U.S. while in the process of applying for immigration relief. Maria could have had Adelaida sent back to Guatemala. Instead, she chose to stay apart so her daughter could have more opportunities and be safe. And that choice relies on Patricia. Patricia takes care of Adelaida and her own family, but the role she has had to play has complicated her relationship with Maria. There is frustration and sometimes resentment. What happened to their family, the separation and its effects, has essentially cost them their relationship. And while Maria is grateful for her sister, it's hard because she can only see her daughter's childhood from a distance. I mean, there are are moments where you sort of are observing the mundane details of a, of a child and a mom trying to hold on to their relationship. And, and I've been so impressed by like their ability to do that. Online, Maria sees Adelaida's friends and their attempts to make music. She sees her as a flower girl at a wedding. She sees her turn eight, then nine, then ten. And then sometimes there are moments when everything just falls apart. You see? Uh, okay. Uh, you see, you'll see también. And I saw that happen at Adelaida's 10th birthday party. They bought a big cake. And they sang happy birthday. Maria and I were both watching over the phone, over a video call. And so I was kind of looking at these two squares on my phone, you know, one of this really joyous party. And Adelaida, surrounded by all of her her friends, this big cake in front of her, and the other, Maria, alone, just watching this happen. 
Bueno, feliz cumpleaños. ¿De cuántos años tenés? Diez. Sí, diez años. And there came a moment where Maria just couldn't take it anymore. She just all of a sudden kind of like like exploded and just started, I don't know, like weeping and shouting at the same time. And then Maria hung up the phone, her square disappeared. Then Adelaide just put her head down and it maybe lasted like 10 seconds. And no one else knew this had happened. All the people who were gathered around the cake for her birthday had no idea. And like, you could just watch her forcing herself to smile. It was uh, like excruciating. After the break, Maria gets a phone call. Hola? Okay. Um, hola, Maria. Hola, Abogada Carolyn. We'll be right back. Hey there. I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Around the time Adelaida turned 10, Joe Biden was elected president. And he had promised during his campaign that he would reunite families who had been separated at the border. They separated them at the border to make it a disincentive to come to begin with. Bay, real tough. We're really strong. And guess what? It's not coyotes didn't bring them over. Their parents were with them. They got separated from their parents. And it makes us a laughing stock and violates every notion of who we are as a nation. So when he took office in January of 2021, the administration began the unprecedented task of bringing these families back together. But any shift in policy felt as far away as it always did for Maria and Adelaida. Until May 2021. Hola? When Maria gets a call from immigration lawyer Carol Ann Donahue. Okay. Um, hola, Maria. Hola, Abogada Carol Ann. We're calling to give you some good news. Your application, our government approved your application for return today. She's been approved for humanitarian parole. Now, she can be with her daughter in the U.S. How soon do you think you would be ready to go? Este, ustedes me dirán qué día yo puedo ir, me pido permiso donde trabajo y si me puedo ir. You guys tell me when and I can go. A month later, Kevin flies to Guatemala to travel with Maria to the U.S. Okay, I'm recording now. He called me from his hotel the night before they left. 
At the hotel, there was a whole group of parents who were separated at the border, all waiting to be reunited with their families. He said that even up until those last moments, it was all so abstract. Maria just wasn't sure that it was going to happen, even though she had a Guatemalan passport and a visa. Until now, there were a lot of doubts, to the point where Maria didn't want to tell Adelaida, you know, didn't want to tell her daughter that she was coming to see her until like two hours ago. So Maria calls Adelaida like she always does. And, you know, Adelaida, like as she often is, was like sort of distracted. And Maria was like, You know, if you don't pay attention, I'm not going to tell you the good news. I'm coming. I'm coming to Florida tomorrow. <laughs> and she kind of just like stared at the screen first, like no response at all. Mommy. And then you just like melted. <laughs> just like covered her face and started crying. Maria told Kevin that she didn't want to tell Adelaida earlier, partly because she didn't want Adelaida to have to deal with the anxiety and anticipation leading up to the reunion. I asked Kevin what it was like to be there the night before they got together. Um, to me, there's just something so deeply sad that this has to happen, that tomorrow Maria has to get on a plane and see her daughter for the first time in four years, and that the parents have to tell me I'm still imagining that when I see my son, he's going to look the way he did four years ago, but I know he looks different now. And that a mother told me, I'm really excited to see my daughter, but she doesn't speak our indigenous dialect anymore. And so I'm not sure how I'm going to communicate with her. Um, and so I'm really happy, but I'm also just like really sad that we're, that we're here. Early the next morning, Kevin and Maria head to the airport. They board a plane headed for Houston, Texas. But for Maria, it was a very different experience being on a plane. This time, she was not being deported. She was just describing the experience. I think being on a plane again had obviously reminded her of, of that flight, that last flight, and how, how the handcuffs were so tight that she still has a scar on one of her wrists. And this time, obviously, she was flying as a civilian, kind of staring out the window, taking videos. Just sort of like marveling at the landscape as we flew across the border into Mexico and then into the U.S. But things did not go as planned once they landed. I'm sitting on the floor of the Houston airport outside of the baggage claim waiting for Maria to get out of secondary inspection. She got pulled aside after waiting in line and that was two and a half hours ago. And she and I both missed our connecting flight to Florida for the reunion. 
and it's kind of staggering to me that this wasn't somehow planned better that cbp was caught off guard by her arrival given that she's one of the first separated parents to return sucks because maria's visa is so unusual agents at the airport flagged it causing her to miss her flight now most of the time missing your flight is a travel inconvenience but for one of the first families to come together in the u.s after separation well it's just a glimpse into how complicated it is to pull off family reunification. Eventually, Kevin and Maria make it to Florida. They landed in Fort Lauderdale around midnight. You know, it's kind of like that hour in an airport where every weary traveler is just like kind of in a sort of haze, trying to get out of the airport as quickly as they can. and. You know, we're in this line of, of passengers going towards the exit. I'm following Maria just behind her. And the doors kind of open, like they're kind of like opening and closing these automatic doors. And the door opens and Adelaide is just there, like standing right there. The audio you're about to hear is of a moment four years in the making. In those four years, Adelaida has grown 11 inches. She's mastered English. And at 10, she has spent almost half of her life away from her mother. to her you know she said I'm so I'm so sorry I didn't mean to leave you four years ago uh, but now I'm here you know there's just this this like outpouring of emotion in the middle of the Fort Lauderdale airport and everyone's just watching not having any contacts not knowing what is going on why is this child just like shrieking but obviously like I know and the family knows. Adelaide almost, when you look at her face, like almost looks like ecstatic and really um, almost frightened. Like, like it's just a sort of desperate. You know, eventually they make their way out of the terminal and into the parking lot and into the car and they drive off 
across the state of Florida to the town where they're from on the other side, the other coast. And that's it. Like, that's the beginning of, like, Maria's American life. I went with him straight to their apartment. And she looked around. (laughs) She was pretty rattled by the whole experience, but also, like, it's like a pretty difficult place. It's like three o'clock in the morning at this point. And they all sit around a table, just sort of like start chatting. In the middle of this, Patricia, she was sleeping, did not go to the airport, walks out of her bedroom. Remember, Patricia is Maria's sister who's been taking care of Adelaida and almost doesn't acknowledge Maria, just walks by her. And that was one of many moments that I sort of saw and heard and was like, oh, right, this is going to be super complicated. I mean, almost every family I've, I've talked to, and I've talked to a lot of these families, has expressed some, like, fundamental kind of fracture in their family that didn't just occur at the moment of separation, but occurred in the period between separation and reunion. And it's just obvious that all of these families are going to have a hard time rebuilding relationships, including this one. The morning after, Kevin comes back. It's Maria's first full day in America. And... They were taking Maria to the mall (laughs) to buy clothes. And I think the reason was because Maria had only arrived with, like, indigenous Guatemalan clothes. And so the family kind of decided collectively that she needed to buy some American clothes. She kept saying how she's like, here, like, I don't have to worry about safety. I don't have to worry about, like, someone, you know, trying to steal my wallet or something. In Guatemala, we shot very quickly because we're always worried that someone's going to steal something from us. And it was funny, like, Adelaida was, was walking kind of behind her, holding all of the clothes that she had bought or that she was trying on. It was like making kind of like choices for her, like, oh, mom, what about these jeans? These look nice. What about this? Maria and Adelaide during this first day were just like basically in each other's arms the whole the whole day, kind of just like lying next to each other, holding each other, whispering to each other. At one point, Adelaide is lying in Maria's arms on the bed. There's a bed in the middle of the dining room, by the way, because there's just so little space for all the people who live there. So they've put this big mattress in the middle of the apartment. And Maria's kind of whispering to Adelaida. 
She says, oh my God, I, like, as I'm talking to you, I kind of zoned out and thought that I was talking to you on the phone. But, you know, I could watch her just, like, really kind of be struck by this, this moment of, like, realizing, like, I'm actually here. This is what the first few days together were like. Kevin left Florida and went back to Mexico City. He would check in with Adelaida and Maria, who quickly realized that getting to the U.S. was just the beginning of a whole new set of challenges. She... She's sure she doesn't want to live in that apartment. Um, she knows that it's not a place to raise a daughter, that it's not a place to build a family. But it's also really difficult to find an alternative. You know, it took her a really long time to get a work permit. It took her a really long time to find a job. And so she's sort of in the middle of that now, trying to figure out, like, you know, is there a way to find a more permanent setup for them, for the family in Florida? And it's not easy. It's been months now, and they still haven't found a new place to live. She's still struggling to find a job. They're still struggling financially. None of the things that she needs to sort of, like, create a permanent structure for her and Adelaida have been easy. Two months after Maria and Adelaida were reunited, Kevin went back to Florida to see how things were going. Yeah, I went back to see how they were settling in to their their new lives together in Florida. But I was also there to like understand just how difficult it is to rebuild that relationship, you know. It's not something that happens quickly. And the time I spent with them it became pretty clear that this is going to take them a really long time. For Maria, for for the mother, she felt like she'd arrived 4 years late. And I think that made her feel really uncomfortable, you know? It made her unsure what her role was now. What does it mean to be the mother of a, of a child that you haven't seen for half of her life? What does it mean to navigate her public school education when you can't speak the language? Sometimes I ask her, do you have homework? And she says, yes. And I, I tell her, I want to see it. And what do you have? And she says, hey, mom, but you don't know how to speak English. I think the other thing that was really hard for her was she arrived in Florida with this immense guilt. At the beginning, she told me, I can't believe you are here. And sometimes she tells me, I feel like you're not my mom, like there's someone in Guatemala. But then I tell her, like, no, you are my daughter and I'm your mom. And for Adelaida, there was a time when she was willing to talk about the separation and what they had been through. But that's changed. So if we, like, talk about it, I start crying. So my mom started talking about, like, she went in jail and everything. So I, like, feel bad. Yeah. And so I, I went to the room so I couldn't hear because it makes me sad. Yeah. But she feels so strongly that 
if she talks about the separation with her mom openly, it will create more distance. So like the best, the solution for you, for you is just like, don't think about it. Don't talk about it. So I, I, I told it, I told my mom not to like remind me a lot and then, okay, we're not talk about that much. Just if someone comes here and ask that question, we can talk about it. And I said, yeah, that's a good deal. And then I said, okay, deal. And I thought you said deal. deal. So the deal is like, it's like erased basically, or like, it's like something that's just like, you put it outside or in like a drawer and you close the drawer and then that's it. Yeah. Or like if we erase it. That's how you feel think about it. Like it's kind of like something that you're erasing Mm -hmm. with an eraser. Does that work? Mm -hmm. You can erase a memory. You don't, but like it's, you still have to think about it, right? No. You don't, you don't think about it? No. Okay. Even though she and her mother have a deal to not talk about the separation, in a few years, they're going to have to confront what happened to them because Maria's visa is temporary. It's a bridge to nowhere in that after three years, there is no guarantee that she'll get any other more permanent status or even any other temporary relief. So after three years, in the absence of uh, legislative action or some kind of additional relief, she will be deportable. She'll be in the United States illegally. The federal immigration visa that makes family reunification possible does not guarantee a life in the U.S. In other words, in 2024, Maria could be separated from Adelaida and deported once again. In some ways, like, they are the best example one could imagine of the link between U.S. policy and the lives of of immigrants, right? I mean they were separated because of a U.S. policy. And the only reason they ever saw each other again was because of another U.S. policy. You know, on one hand, just so happy to be together. And on the other hand, deeply afraid of the next decision that will come down and change the course of their lives, not knowing what that decision will be. This week, the Secretary of Homeland Security, Antonio Mayorkas, called on Congress to create a path to permanent citizenship for separated families. Kevin Seif is the Mexico City Bureau Chief for The Post. This story was produced by Alexis Diao. Additional production help in Spanish-language interpretation by Cecilia Favela. It was mixed by Bishop Sand, who also composed this episode's music. And it was edited by Renita Jablonski. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Our executive producer is Maggie Penman. Our supervising senior producer is Rena Flores. Our editors are Alexis Diao and Ted Muldoon. Our producers are Lena Mohammed and Jordan Marie Smith. Ariel Plotnik and Renny Svernovsky are associate producers. Sabi Robinson and Emma Talkoff are assistant producers. Sean Carter is our engineer. The post-director of audio is Renita Jablonski. 
I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from The Washington Post.